So I'm going to be very brief in my comments today. Um, wow, someone just applaud? Wow. Man, was that Karen? I can see her smiling, yeah. Okay, we are, we are off to a good start. Um, I, I'm, <laughs> it's funny, I, I made that comment and, and Millie said she was going to time me because she's never heard a pastor say that they were going to be brief. So, um, <laughs> But uh, I want to read to you um, from Acts 20. In verse 28. So to prove that we're brief, I'm doing one verse today, um, but it is a, a rich uh, verse. Um, today, as we look to um, kind of launch these new elders out, um, I'm excited. I'm very excited. And so we're going to be in Acts 20, uh, verse 28. This whole text is good. This whole, I mean, this whole text is rich. And so I encourage you to, to take time today and this week as you think about our elders um, to read this text in its entirety. Um, Paul is visiting with the Ephesian elders in this moment. And in, and in verse 28, I want to read that verse to you. I'm going to read it twice to you. So it's just one verse so you can hear it. Uh, and then I want you to pray. Um, Acts 20, verse 28. Here's what Paul tells the Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Let me read it again. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Um, So I will be brief uh, with my comments, but that's for a reason, um, because I want to leave time for you to hear um, from the two men that God is calling to be elders here at Renewal Church. So I will make some brief comments, um, but then Tristan and Rich will come, and they will actually share their testimony with you. I want you to hear from them. I want you to hear their hearts, the work that God has done um, in their life. And so, but one thing I do want to say before we jump into Acts 20 uh, is don't check out. Now, I know if you're a visitor or um, if you're a member, I mean, I think sometimes when you hear that the morning is going to be focused on church leadership, it can be easy to check out because you have things going on in your life. You expect to be fed. You expect uh, for this time to be focused on you. And, and so I would just encourage you um, that if you don't, even if you don't know these men at all, that you would not check out. We want you to be engaged and to pray. And so um, I know the Psalm series has been enjoyable, but it's so valuable to pause um, and pray for church leadership. And here's why. Um, Let me ask you a question. Now, don't raise your hand, okay? I don't want you to raise your hand, Um, but I just want you to think about it and acknowledge it if it's true, how many of you have ever seen, whether in this church or another church, seen or experienced hurtful and unhealthy leadership, church leadership? I can see many of you shaking your heads. Yeah. How many of you have been personally hurt by a church leader? 
I know the answer to that for many of you. I, I know that um, whether it's this church or another church, that there are many of you in this room that have been hurt by church leadership in one way or another. Church leadership is meant to display the glory of Christ. But the reality is that is not the case. In fact, it may be the reality that I myself have hurt some of you. I am not perfect. None of us are. But if we as a faith family are going to join God in his mission, then biblical, humble leadership is a non-negotiable. Leadership that follows God's word listens to the voice of the Spirit, and walks in humility. That's what we're praying for. I know that's what you hope for your elders, for your church leadership. And so we can't attempt to do the work of God without God. And so today we are going to be brief with comments, but we are going to spend a lot of time in prayer because we cannot do this without him. So let's jump into Acts 20, 28 very briefly. I already went too long in my introduction. Um, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So here are four chargers, uh, charges for the elders. So I'm going to be kind of talking to the elders, but I'm also going to be kind of talking to you. And so I think it's going to be helpful for both. So here's four things from Acts 20, 28 for our elders, okay? Um, I, the first thing, elders, pay careful attention to yourself. Pay careful attention to yourself. And I would also say pay careful attention to your family, that shepherding God's people is an important task, but it's not, hear me clearly, it's not more important than your own spiritual health. And it's not more important than the health of your family, So elders, your first calling, Tristan and Rich, is not to be an elder. It's not. It's to be a follower of Christ. It is to know the word of God, to know the voice of the spirit. And just like anybody else, you are of both flesh and of spirit. You will not be perfect. No one is asking you to. But I think it's important that an elder, that a leader, knows where their imperfections are. So I would ask our elders, where do your temptations come from? Where do they lie? Do you know where those are? What are the fears, the anxieties of your spouse as you walk into this role? Of your children? These are things that we need to know before we go into this battle, that we have to know where we are weak. We have to know ourselves. Because the reality is, each of you, both Tristan and Rich, have been examined by the church according to the biblical qualifications, okay? According to Timothy and to Titus. And so let me read those out of Timothy. Okay, so here are the qualifications that these men were evaluated under. This is what Paul says in Timothy. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, this is what an elder should be, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And we have all agreed as a faith family that you meet these qualifications. But it is good that we examine where we are tempted. Because the enemy will come quick and he will come very, very strongly. And so we must be careful. We must pay careful attention to know ourselves. Second, an elder must pay careful attention to know the flock, to know you. An elder should know his people. Um, You should know the hearts of the people in this room. That's why it's important that we have multiple elders. I can't do this by myself, and I should not be doing it by myself. It is not healthy for me to be doing it for myself. It's not healthy for my wife for me to be doing this by myself. And so we need multiple elders that it's important that every person in here is known to the extent that you will let yourself be known, that an elder should know the hurts, the fears, the anxieties, and the dreams of the flock, that an elder should know their needs and be able to lead with the word and with kindness, with gentleness, come alongside each of you, depending on what you need. And so you should, we should know the flock. Third, an elder should care An elder should care for the flock. Paul says, to care for the church of God. I love that. He tells these elders, care for the church of God. And just a side note, anytime you see that word overseer or elder or even pastor, those words are interchangeable. It's the same word. They have the same meaning. meaning. And the elder is an under-shepherd of the ultimate shepherd, Christ appointed by the Holy Spirit. So to care for the flock means that elders, one, are meant to nurture the flock, to nurture the flock, that we are gentle with the hurting. We serve sacrificially to those in need. We don't nurture to get anything in return, okay? We don't pet you so that you will pet us back. We aren't looking for praise in our service. Caring for the flock, I think, sometimes can turn into a leader using flattery language so that they will get something in return. They will get flattery language back. But that's not what we're called to do. Um, It's not being passive about the things of God either. It's giving the people of God with kindness, with tenderness, with confidence, the words of God. The words of God. That you don't need a compliment. You need food. You need water because you're hungry, because you're thirsty. You need what can actually satisfy you, the word. And so pastors, elders, overseers, we nurture the flock. And second, we care for the flock by protecting the flock. We care for the flock by protecting the flock. Look at verse 29, the very next verse. Paul says, I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves, that's what he says, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples 
after them. And so he says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. That the reality is that both outside of this group of people and inside this group of people will be some who's not, whose intent is not the glory of Christ, but is the glory of self. And there will be some who will try to distort the gospel, who will try to change it from what it actually is, and there will be some who will try to make secondary issues, primary issues, so that we can be divided. And so it is the role of the elder to come alongside and to protect. We must protect the word and protect the flock. We have to be watchful and to be alert. And lastly, elders, just like every member, submits to Christ. We all submit to Christ as the head of the church. Elders do not stand on a pedestal like a king or a dictator. Elders are also members of the church. We are just like you. (laughs) We are just like you. We all participate in the life of the church. Elders participate in home groups. Elders tithe. Elders sit under the preaching of someone else. Even myself make it a point to sit once a month under the teaching of somebody else because I am not a dictator. I am not a king. I am part of the life of the church. And just like everyone else, I submit to Christ as the head of the church. And hear this clearly. The church does not belong to your elders. The church does not belong to the elders. The church belongs to Christ. The church belongs to Christ. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And he says, which he obtained with his own blood. I didn't obtain the church with my blood. (laughs) Christ obtained it with his blood. That the only reason we are gathered today is because Jesus Christ has bought us with his blood. You aren't here for me. You aren't here for any other leader. You are here because Jesus Christ has saved you with his blood. We don't gather because a band plays good music. You don't gather because of a charismatic preacher. You gather for the glory of Christ, that he went to the cross out of love and grace, and he paid the price for your sin. And now we, the church, get the privilege of worshiping our Savior, our victor, that all of us gather, not for your leadership, because your leadership tells you to, but we gather for the glory of Christ. This is not my church. This is not Rich's church. This is not Tristan's church. This is Christ's church. And there are implications to that. That means that if we say something that does not line up with God's word, you are not obligated to listen to us. I mean, seriously, if we say something or we stray from this, Christ is your head. You follow him, not us. You don't submit to us when we are outside of this. Christ is the head of the church. And church, church culture has lost sight of what it means to sit under the headship of Christ. There are too many churches today filled with leaders and pastors who just want influence and power. I mean, just being honest. There are too many churches that are just too obsessed with power and influence. And then you get these churches where one group is lobbying for power and then another group is lobbying for power. And you've completely, we've completely lost sight of what it means to submit to Christ. I am not a CEO. 
as much as sometimes people want me to be. I would be terrible at that. I am not a CEO. Our elders are not a board of directors. They are men appointed by the Holy Spirit to care for you, to come alongside you, to protect you. Do not put us too high. The Holy Spirit has appointed us to nurture, to come alongside you in humility and with gentleness. And so I think the best thing would be for me to stop talking and for us to hear from them and then to pray. Um, Tristan is going to come up first and then Rich, and I just want you to hear their stories. Um, And then after they're finished sharing their testimony, um, them and their wives are going to come up front, and you're going to have an opportunity to come by and pray. Pray for their hearts. And if you don't know, you're like, I don't know what to pray for them. I don't even know them, right? Even if you've never said a word to them, here are four things that you can pray. Pray that they would know themselves, that they would know themselves, know where they're weak, know where they're tempted, know where they're arrogant or prideful, that they would know you, that they would know the flock. Pray that they would care for the flock, and then pray that they would submit to Christ as the head of the church. That's what you can pray if you don't know what to pray. And so I'm going to invite Tristan up first, uh, and he's going to share his story with us. It's good, good to be here this morning. Um, it's kind of a new season for me. I know it's a new season for you guys. Um, uh, there's many of you I know personally, and so um, many of you who also who have been at members' meetings, and so I apologize if you have to sit through this again, but I just really want to take a minute, as Colton has asked us, to, to just to share our testimony, or share my testimony about what the Lord's done in my heart, and um, I'm actually going to go I'm going to talk about my testimony before I was a believer, but also um, I want to talk a little bit about what occurred after I was a believer, um, just so you can know who I am and where I come from and the experiences that that we um, have been through, both both myself and my wife. Um, so um, when I was about seven years old, I um, my seven to eight uh I was figuring out that my parents were not doing well. And um, I remember the tension in our home. I remember the, uh, the arguments. I remember the, um, you know, the conflict. And then I remember my mom telling me one night that your dad has left and he's not coming back. And I said, no, mom, he'll come back. It's okay. He's coming back. And um, he didn't. And um, over the next few years, what occurred was he moved two hours away, and then he moved eight hours away, and then he moved 17 hours away, driving distance. And um, that occurred consecutively over two-year periods, and, and so I felt further and further from my father. And um, so while he was my dad, as I grew up from um, a young child, he was not really a father because he wasn't present and um, that impacted me in a in a tremendous way, um, as you can imagine, and so many of you I know have been in those um, situations and um, experienced the pain of, of and difficulty of that. And so, as a child, I there was really a huge hole that was left in my heart uh, as a result of the lack of um, somebody fathering me. And um, it was actually that um, 
I think I think that pain and that hole in my heart that really drove me in a certain direction. And so I, after my um, parents got divorced, we started attending a Presbyterian church um, on the weekends that my grandparents had were members at. And um, my grandparents weren't necessarily believers; they were just uh, really um, casual church church attenders, uh, cultural Christians. Uh, but but nonetheless, they did go to a church, and, and at that church, um, I had the opportunity to hear um, the uniqueness of who Jesus was, and to hear about his deity, and hear um, about uh, his beauty. And I remember as a, as a child, I remember, um, it really, didn't really stick with me, but I remember the, the pastor of that church um, was one of the kindest men, and had, had just such a kind countenance, and, and um posture about him that, that impacted me in a, in a really significant way. So that as I became, um, I came into my high school years, um, I remember just really longing to want to know about God. And so my freshman year of high school, um, some, my, my stepdad, my mom got remarried. My stepdad, um, said, well, you should go to this church camp. We ended up becoming an Episcopalian. Uh, so I got confirmed to Episcopalian. So I was Presbyterian, Episcopalian, sure there's more to come. Um, uh, and so I went to this church camp. I, I left, I, I went wanting to know more about God and left um, more tempted by the ways of the world, uh, more, more tempted by the lusts of my flesh. And so that was actually kind of a backward step for me. Uh, but as I went into high school, um, I remember not having a father and even having a stepdad, but he was not a very nurturing character. I remember that um, I just really had this sense that God was looking out for me. And I wanted to know him somehow. I wanted to grow closer to him. I just didn't know what that looked like. I needed somebody to teach me, but nobody taught me. And and so um, back in those days, even before I really chose to follow Christ, I remember sensing that God was watching over me. And later on, it dawned on me what um, the Psalms say in Psalm 68, that, that this was actually happening in my life in a very real, tangible way for me. It says, um, sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And I just knew that God was protecting me. He protected me from many snares, many dangers. And as I was in high school, um, for about two years, I really tried tried to live in a way that pleased God. Uh, I only found out that was really f- foolishness because I couldn't please God. I knew later. But um, a part of that was was just thinking that my own choices would, would please God. And eventually, some of my influences who were friends that would kind of keep me out of trouble, left, and I fell into a crowd that, that really led me more towards trouble. And um, so that, that ended up in, oh, numerous, sub, some substance, minor substance abuse, um, uh, also alcoholism, which runs in my family. And um, so, so I began to struggle with things that, that had been passed down from one generation to another. And alcoholism began to set in really, really fast. Um, and so my freshman year in high school, um, I just kind of, kind of just ran and I began to rent, run from the Lord for about three years from my junior year to, uh, my freshman year in, um, sorry, did I say high school, my freshman year in college. 
um, I really ran from the Lord. And what, what happened was I could not escape um, in those years. I could not escape the reality that I, belie- I believed that Jesus was going to come back. I didn't really believe in him. I wasn't submitting to him. I didn't surrender to him, but I really believed he was coming back. And so I would be uh, with my friend in high school as our senior year, and I'd be talking to him. We'd be out doing something that was probably illegal and um, not good. And I'd be talking to him, and uh, right in the middle of when we're supposed to be having fun, um, I would say, do you, do you ever just think about how much influence our lives have over other people, like our underclassmen in high school, and how we could be leading them to point them towards Jesus? And he'd be like, man, <laughs> fun killer. <laughs> I remember once in uh, high school, I meant, sorry, in uh, college, I was pledging for, well, I, I was uh, invited to pledge for a fraternity, and they went and had a big bonfire, and everybody's, you know, it's a big, <laughs> just a big party. And um, I remember sitting back down to these two guys, and I sat down, and they're all having a, their heyday, <laughs> and uh, the bonfires go in, and they're, um, I did this with several friends, too. I, I Anyways, it's, uh, this happened in another situation too with some friends where I was, I was talking to them and I could, I could, just couldn't get away from the reality that, that Christ was going to return one day. And I would sit down and they would want to be having fun, living it up. And, and I would start talking to them, you know, do you ever, do you ever think about how Jesus is going to come back? And here they are at this party and, and about, 10 minutes, these guys on either side of me are crying and bawling. And these guys are walking around this bonfire going, what's wrong with (laughs) y'all? And I just, I could not escape that fact that, that Jesus return was imminent. And eventually my freshman year in in college, um, I came to the conclusion and realized that I was ruining and wrecking my life and that I'd abandoned the people that loved me. I was running from God and he wanted my heart. And so I sat in my truck on by myself, really having heard uh, enough of the gospel to believe it. And I sat and I prayed and my prayer was, God, I'm ruining my life and I've been running from you and I'm not going to do it anymore. And I'm going to follow you until I die. And I walked out of my car, went up to uh, third floor of my dorm room. And there where I had had a huge hole in my heart and really was angry with my father, but just not really willing to admit that. But it had set into deep bitterness in my heart. And I remember sitting on my bed and without a conscious effort to make the choice, I sat down and as the weight lifted off of me and I began to feel the sense of purpose and joy, I remember saying the words out loud. I said, I forget my dad and I forgave him. And I forgave him because my father forgave me. Not because I could do it, but because I tasted the goodness of his forgiveness. And so that was uh, kind of, that was the beginning of where I think, where I began to feel a sense of what Peter calls inexpressible joy full of glory. And uh, the very tangible moments of feeling God's love. But there was another season in my life that I think is very beneficial for you to know. Uh, and that is after, uh, after I did become a Christian, I began to serve in a Baptist student ministry. I got plugged into a wonderful, wonderful church, um, a missional church, a church led by elders, a church that was uh, missional in their community, a church that valued the word, valued community, valued sharing life. And at, through those times, I actually began to serve on staff as an intern at that church, part-time there and part-time doing college ministry at a Baptist student center. Um, but 
Um, that, that occurred for several years, about three, three years. But what, what happened during that time? Although I was serving um, and, and volunteering and working, um, I did not watch myself carefully. And I did burn out. And so what Colton said this morning, uh, the charge to us, um, I say that that can happen again. I did not watch myself. What happened was I fell back into some sin struggles that, um, that had affected me since uh, I was at a young age. And um, as a result of that, what happened was I ended up stepping down and confessing those sins. I confessed them to the leadership of the church. I also confessed them to the elders of the church. They were gracious. Um, they, they both um, admonished me corrected me, rebuked me, and restored me. And they restored me in love. And they did not lower the bar for me. They raised the bar. And they said, but, but go and sin no more. And you take care of the new family that you've got coming. And so Holly and I, uh, we... We shortly after that got married, but we met about two years before that, and I never spent a, I never spent a day without her. I don't think maybe one after we met, and it was really a it was a wonderful season. But in the midst of some of that, um, there was there was struggles, and so I I say that because I feel like that's important for you guys to know about us about about me, um, because God has done a wonderful work in our lives. He's done a wonderful work in my life, and through through that time that season of pain, there also was a tremendous amount of healing, and God has redeemed the things that I meant for evil. And so I have, when I look back at my life, I see a track record of God's faithfulness. You know that song we sang today, every season, every season I see God redeeming the evils that I've done and bringing about his good in my life and in my family's life and my wife's life and in my children's life. And so um, uh, I'm welcome to, if, if I, there's something I've said this morning and you, you're curious about it and you would be interested um, in knowing more, I'd love to visit with you personally. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pass uh, this on to Rich here. But, um, you know, I, I think throughout the seasons of my life, one of the verses that has really, um, maybe some of you, uh, I think, I think in those years of God shaping my heart, um, Philippians, the, the message of Paul in Philippians one twenty one, where he says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. You know, um, I think, I think in some ways that, that verse captured me. And that has been, in, in some ways, a, a verse that, that has become a part of my desire that I would be so hard-pressed between the two to stay here, but that I would love Jesus so much more that leaving this world is a better prospect than staying. But the reason that we stay is because God has meaning for us right here. Meaning and that meaning, Paul in Paul's words, that meaning was so that the faith of the church would be built, and that they would be grown, and um, that through his his being with them and sharing his own faith, that they would mature into Christ's fullness. So, 
Um, that's my desire for us here at Renewal. Um, so thank you for this morning. Um, Rich, I'm going to pass it on to you. I had to set a timer just in case because uh, I'm a former pastor and teacher, and so long-winded is my nature. So uh, it says 9.50, so I won't count down, but there we go. Um, so much like Tristan, my folks got divorced when I was 11. I saw it coming as the oldest son in the house, uh, and I asked my siblings one evening, so who do you want to go live with when mom and dad split up? And uh, they were a little shocked and perturbed at me that I might think that mom and dad were going to split. But inevitably, they did and went their separate ways. And uh, so as an 11-year-old, the courts allowed me to pick who I wanted to go with, and I decided my dad was the better choice. Uh, Yeah. So he eventually got married, and uh, things didn't go so well. Plus, I'm starting to become a teenager, which is always challenging. If you've ever been one or had one, uh, you know that's a short challenge, right? And uh, so we had our struggles, and Christmas of my 13th year, I told my dad, I'm gonna, I want to go live with my mom, and he said, no, you're not. And I said, okay, sounds good. I packed all my stuff and uh, moved to Beverly. Well, Huntsville was close enough for me, and uh, we enjoyed a severed relationship after that, he would come and get my brothers and sisters and not, uh, not, not pick me up, not talk to me, not look at me, just absolutely um, ignore the fact that I existed. And I did that for a very long time. And so our relationship has been fractured for a lot of years. My stepdad stepped in and, and was a really good um, example of what a man should be, and especially one that's kind of taken over a family, kind of coming in and and marrying into uh, a ready-made family. And uh, he carried the mantle well. Uh, He wasn't saved. He wasn't a Christian. uh, But he was not afraid to tan our hides when we misbehaved. Now, that didn't happen. It happened all the time. Um, So right about the time, 14, I had 13, 14, I'd started drinking and uh, just casually hanging out with friends and uh, picked up some really solid habits of, of that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's just kind of building the foundation of being a real rebellious son, a real uh, angry young man, and, and uh, not really trusting of, of other people or of my father. And so one day, as God does, now looking back, I'm looking back on my life today, and I see God's hand from the time I was, can I remember, two, three, four, five, just watch God's hand move and my life constantly pursuing me, I had no idea. I just knew that the neighbors next door when I was a kid were super religious, and every time I said, oh, gosh, I got thrown out of the house. And so um, it was really weird. I thought, those religious people are awkward. And so at, uh, at, at 15, I was on the bus uh, riding to school, and I'd really kind of had a long-distance crush on a little redheaded girl who would get on the bus and sit up front. Well, one day... She gets on the bus, and she starts headed to the back of the bus where I sat. And I was like, oh, look at there. And then she sat in the seat in front of me. And then my heart started to panic. Uh Uh-oh, she's in front. And then she turned around and spoke to me. I almost passed out, y'all. I just (laughs) was like, whoa. And she said the the craziest thing to me. It was so shocking. She said, do you want to go to church Wednesday? Huh? Huh? And she said it again, and I said, 
wow, girls at church. Okay, I'm in. So I showed up on Wednesday night, and uh, lo and behold, she did not. I thought, that's a dirty trick. (laughs) Two weeks later, uh, God came in and saved me. While she didn't show up, God did and did a miraculous work in me. Uh, I was, excuse me, I was saved uh, on a Saturday night. I don't know, something just crazy happened. I wasn't reading God's word, but I was really aware that he was working and moving and shaking uh, and had heard his word in church and that kind of stuff. And so just one Saturday night, I thought, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with drinking. I'm done with raising cane. I'm done with trouble. And so Sunday morning, I walked down to the Walked the aisle and told the pastor, hey, I'm, I'm ready for this. And so I said, you know, I'm saved. And he said, well, you haven't said the prayer yet, so let's do that. I was like, oh, there's a prayer involved here? And so we prayed the prayer and did the walk and got baptized. And so we did the whole church dance. Um, but something really happened in my life. I was changed from the inside out. Um, and just a little bit kind of about me personally. I am an excellent, excellent student. Um, I was the guy who crunched um, four years of high school into five and two summers. And I know that's incredible. I know you're shocked to hear that. But uh, that's kind of... So somebody said, let's do book reports. Thought that was a good idea. We're going to read a book and then we're going to tell about it. Yeah, that's not my strong suit. That's at that age, I was like, no way. And so I never made it through a single book report, not one without crying. I failed every single one, and I cried through every one. I just couldn't look at you and tell you what this book was about. Even if I read it, I couldn't do it. I cried through the whole thing. So anyway, lo and behold, we're working. I'm going to church, and all of a sudden, I'm a prominent youth leader in, in our group, and people are, kids are coming to me asking me about how to walk this out, how do I live this out, what does this mean, what... And so I just found myself thrust into a position of leadership that I didn't ask for. Um, And then one morning we were at Easter sunrise service. And uh, wow, that went quick. Um, So Easter sunrise service, and I hear God clearly say to me, I want you to preach. I absolutely freaked out. I thought, there's no way this can happen. And so I spent seven years in a bottle. I ran. There's no way, God, I can't do this. You've heard me give book reports. How am I supposed to tell about your word? I can't do it. And, so, and, and very true, I can't do it. Without him, only God, right? Only God can do that in us. And so seven years of running, joined the Navy, became a better drinker, better sinner, and just continued to stay high and, and drunk and everything else. Picked up some bad habits from my dad, who's an alcoholic, uh, but I expounded on him. Uh, which I'm apt to do. I'm a hundred percenter. So anything I do, I do a hundred percent. And so just doubled down on all the craziness. And so I was at that time of my life, I was a case of beer and three packs of cigarettes a day. And so my wife came along uh, and because of her, I came out of that. And once I came out of that back to church, back to living. And then I heard the call of God again saying, I haven't relinquished this call. I need you to do this. And so I surrendered to the ministry uh, and became a youth pastor for 12 years, I pastored at three different churches, youth pastor at three different churches. Um, I'm also a professional mechanic. That's what I do for a living, aircraft guy. And uh, so part-time, bivocational youth pastor. And in 2014, God called my wife and I to plant a church. So we planted this church. We ran it for five years, excited about seeing what God was doing. People were getting saved, and they were moving away. And I thought, man, I'm really great at this. I just run them off, send them to India, 
sent them to El Paso. I mean, we just flat ran them off. They, we sent them all over the place. And, um, but after five years, uh, God closed the church and we realized that that, that was happening and uh, broke my heart. And so in that process, just in the breaking of that, we closed the church and we sat silent for a year, two years. I'm not even sure, but we sat quietly in another church under some other teaching uh, just to kind of heal and get through it all, get um, beyond the hurt, beyond the pain of um, losing. Essentially, um, what we had essentially what we had birthed and just gave birth and, and raised this church up to be what God had called it to be. And um, so we shut it down and uh, sat there for a while and God, God called us, eventually called us here. And so the call is not gone. It's changed. It's shifted. It's looked like something different. Um, it's still loving people, um, which is God's call to me is to love people, to disciple people. God told me way back in 96 that uh, my my call is to disciple people, to watch people grow, to encourage them to be better uh, than who they think they are. Because God has a great plan for you and is amazed uh, to watch you grow. And that's, that's, so that's been my blessing to watch people like y'all grow. And, and I'm not special. I'm not anybody. I, in fact, I have zero uh, theological training I haven't gone to school. I didn't go to cemetery, seminary, um, so none of that happened. But uh, just self-taught and, and spending time loving people. We've done prison ministry over the years. We've done youth ministry over the years. We've pastored over the years. And so that's the end of my time, as I heard the alarm go. Thank you so much um, for allowing me to serve you. And I'm excited about this opportunity to serve you and love on you and uh, to watch you grow. If you have any questions, like Tristan said, come see me. You can talk to me about anything. I've struggled with all kinds of crazy stuff. Thank you so much for, for allowing me this opportunity. I, I want to give you the opportunity to pray for these men and their wives. Uh, I think that is the best thing that we could do this morning uh, is to come alongside of them and to pray. And so um, what's going to happen in a moment is uh, Tristan and Holly, we're going to put you guys right here, and then Rich and Kathy is Kathy's favorite thing, uh, is uh, we're going to put you guys right here. And Danny and Liz, Danny who just um, completed his term as an elder, they're going to start us off over here to my left, your right. And so we're just going to give you an opportunity to come by each of them. So you'll pray for one, then you can go by and pray for the other. Um, I know it's very short. I, I hope that this is a spark um, that you can pray for them this day, today going forward, that you can follow up with them, hear more of their stories, um, but you'll just get a few moments here just to pray that they would know themselves, that they would know you, that they would care for the church, and that they would submit to Christ, um, or pray in any other way the Spirit would lead you. And so, um, if I'm going to pray right here, um, and then if you, after I pray, want to line up behind Liz and Danny, um, their way of honoring us and um, passing the torch, if you will, um, then you can come alongside them.
and pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for these men, for their stories. We thank you for their wives, their children, and how you've worked in them. God, we pray. We pray for their joy. That they would not burn out. That they they would not be fearful. They would not be led by their flesh or by man. They would be led by your spirit. We would submit to you. So God, give us the words to pray in these next few moments as a faith family. That you would stir all of our hearts for your glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.